For Arizona Public Media, I'm Mark McLemore, and this is the Haunted Halloween Arizona Spotlight. It's time to light the jack-o'-lantern and turn up your radio because we've got a collection of seasonal stories to thrill and chill. Stay tuned to hear about the fears that keep U of A students up at night, plus stories about lost spirits, a witch's castle, and a song about a zombie with more heart than brains. All coming up on the 8th Annual Haunted Halloween Arizona Spotlight. Most students on the University of Arizona campus aren't very far from their trick-or-treating years. I walked among them to ask a simple question. What's really scary? My name's Andrew Fitzpatrick. I'm from Pittsburgh. I study chemistry. Uh, I'd say zombies are pretty scary. They're not overexposed today? Too many movies, too many TV shows? To a degree they are, but I don't think that takes away from the overall concept that you'd you'd be interacting with your... uh, undead friends and family members. Like, that's pretty messed up, right? <laughs> As a chemistry student, can you tell us, is there any uh, defense mechanism at work here? Is the, is the university doing any research into a chemical repellent? Not that I'm aware of, but I'll keep you posted. Um, I'm Katie. I am studying education right now, and I am from Arizona. What's something that you think is scary? Um, one thing that I think is scary is people wearing leggings as pants. I think the heart of the legging problem is that they wear underwear that shows through, or they just probably shouldn't be wearing leggings as pants in general. I don't know. Um, it's, it's a pretty scary problem because I don't like seeing people's butts when I shouldn't have to. My name is Henry, H-E-N-R-Y. What are you studying? I studied mechanical engineering. And what do you think is scary? Oh, have you ever seen the movie like the Paranormal Activity? Paranormal like, Activity, yeah. Yes, yeah, like I think those things are scary. Like you catch something on the camera, that's scary. I, I, I'm afraid to watch horror movie like because after that I always think about it. Like, yeah, those things are scary. Well, my name is Marshall Stoppone and I'm studying mathematics here. Do you have a particularly strong memory of Halloween from when you were, when you were a kid? Was there a, one that stands out? Yes, there is. I used to live in North Carolina and my parents took me to a haunted trail. It was a section of the woods that had been kind of cleared out and done as a haunted house would be. And at the very end of the trail, they had men chasing you with chainsaws. So, yeah, that tended to be pretty scary. You didn't know where they were coming from. You just know there's a guy with a chainsaw behind you. So that sent me running. And did you find out that you could run pretty fast that night? Yes, I did. My name is Samantha Kaplan, and I'm from New Jersey. I'm afraid of witches. Explain why. My teacher dressed up as one when I was in kindergarten, and I've been traumatized ever since. (laughs) You didn't know that it was your teacher? I did, but I just, the whole green face just threw me off. What's your name? Alana. I'm from Scottsdale. Um, I don't know what scares me on Halloween, to be honest. I kind of really dig Halloween. It's a fun time. I like to do the scaring, actually. What makes a successful scaring? Children crying. <laughs> to be honest, I'd say that's it. Have you ever taught kindergarten in New Jersey? Because No. <laughs> okay, okay. No. Um, can you tell us about a time when you scared somebody that worked out? A couple years ago, I like 
did makeup for me and my friends who were vampires. And I went driving around my neighborhood with really creepy music and we were screaming at children. <laughs> and this one kid just kind of fell to the ground and cried. We were really happy. We sped off driving before the parents could yell at us, yeah. What's your name? Katie Gertz. And what would you say is scary? Uh, the Velociraptors from Jurassic Park. Maybe you were a child and you first saw the movie? Uh, I have an older sister who showed it to me way too early in life. It's just specifically the screech of the Velociraptors in the kitchen scene will forever haunt my nightmares. I'm Jared Kay from Arizona, studying public health. I'm Jenna Ritchie from Arizona. I'm studying physiology and neuroscience. And what is something that you each would think is scary? Politics. Student loans. <laughs> They'll always get you. They're always there. <laughs> it's important to remember that Halloween isn't the only holiday taking place this time of year. Vanessa Barchfield takes us to a local bakery to explore the traditions and the flavors of the Day of the Dead. El Dia de los Muertos. As the little witches and goblins of Halloween fall into their candy-induced slumbers, preparations will already be underway for the next on Autumn's long list of holidays, Day of the Dead, Dia de los Muertos. Families will set up altars for their deceased loved ones. At the center of many of these makeshift shrines, they'll place a special food, pan de muerto. Here in Tucson, there's a good chance that that pan de muerto comes from the ovens at La Estrella Bakery. La Estrella, we opened in 30 years ago, actually, and our anniversary is October 31st. That's Erica Franco, whose parents own and operate the bakery that on its first day of business brought in $37 and today employs more than 50 people. I meet Erica and her uncle, this is Guadalupe. Jose, Guadalupe, Jose Guadalupe, at the bakery in Tucson South Side. Erica tells me her uncle, who doesn't so, speak much English, is a maestro. a maestro. A maestro is the one with the most experience with the secret ingredients, etc., etc. And since this is a family-owned business, my brother, my uncle, and my father are the only maestros. Eric and Jose Guadalupe are vigorously kneading the dough and pounding it into form. The dough actually has cinnamon, sugar, vegetable shortening, there could be an orange flavor, a lemon flavor, and anise. And then, of course, there's that special secret ingredient that makes La Estrella's Pan de Muerto, La Estrella's Pan de Muerto. Only the three maestros know what it is, but we'll get to that later. They form the dough into round loaves and also make a few in the shape of skulls. A lot of people re relate the skulls with Halloween, but it's a totally different culture. It represents giving the life to the deceased. The skulls are adorned with eyes and mouths and mustaches. The traditional round pan de muerto loaves are topped with a dough that's rolled into the shape of bones, which Erica says represent the hands of the deceased. Erica and her three siblings grew up with this annual tradition of baking pan de muerto. They were raised in their parents' business. My parents are very old-fashioned, so they never believed in um, babysitting. So. We had to come from school and do our homework here at the bakery. So we grew up, you know, turning in homework with, with a little bit of flour and a little bit of shortening stains. A few days after we baked the pan de muerto together, she's at the second location at the Mercado San Agustin. Well, here I am just putting the last touches on our yearly 
altar. Um, very excited because this is uh, in honor of Roberto Gomez Bolaños. Bolaños wasn't a relative of the Francos. He was one of Mexico's most famous comedians. For me, he is a superhero because no matter how you feel, what you're going through emotionally, you know, if you're having a really bad day, you just turn on the TV and you watch one of these reruns and that's, you know, he saves your life for that second. So he's, he's amazing. He's one of my favorite um, comedians. His altar takes up an entire corner of the shop. It's a very colorful altar. With the pictures, I also include some of these skulls that are made from papel mache. Erica adorns a shrine with fake marigolds. The leaves of the marigold will guide the, the spirit. Um, to its altar. And at the altar, Bolaños' spirit will find his tequila and favorite books and foods, and of course, pan de muerto, made in his honor. Back at the other La Estrella location, that mouth-watering aroma of freshly baked bread fills the entire bakery. The loaves that Erica and her uncle, Jose Guadalupe, prepared are out of the oven and ready for the finishing touches. I have a blue sugar, a green sugar, a pink sugar, just pour it on top. It has a lot of sugar on top, but with the combination of the bread itself, it's just perfect. For Erica, this pan de muerto is a physical manifestation of Dia de los Muertos itself. It's about giving that loved one um, life again, and this is why if you go to any cemetery in Mexico, you see all these colors, so it just represents you know, life. And, and celebrating and the music so everybody's happy and, and enjoying, you know, each other's company. So it turns out that pan de muerto, bread of the dead, is actually all about the living. Now, getting back to that secret ingredient in La Estrella's pan de muerto. Love! Hey, that's the most important ingredient is love. It's clear there's a lot of love in this bakery. But it's also clear that the real secret ingredient in their pan de muerto will be taken to the grave. For Arizona Spotlight, I'm Vanessa Barchfield. In this part of the Southwest, no observance of El Dia de los Muertos or Halloween would be complete without invoking the spirit of La Llorona, the weeping woman. Many versions of the story appear in Mexican folklore. Producer Nancy Montoya grew up hearing one that is often told to children in the Arizona communities of Clifton and Morency. The San Francisco River runs through the heart of Clifton, Arizona. I was born in this small mining community. Now, as a kid, the river was the source of immeasurable entertainment. There were picnics and family gatherings, barbecues, inner tubing. But the river was also the source of a deeply disturbing and frightful story about La Llorona, the weeping woman. When I was eight years old, my Nina Rosa told me the story of a beautiful and vain woman who believed her beauty could captivate any man. She married a rich rancher. They had two children. For a few years, they were happy. But as she began to age, her husband grew tired of her and preferred the company of even younger women. His actions drove her insane with grief and pain. 
Now one night, in a blinded rage, she drowned her two small children. Then she killed herself. But when approaching the gates of heaven, she was denied entry until she could find her children. And so this once beautiful woman was cursed to spend eternity looking for her children at night along the San Francisco River. Now, Anna Ochoa O'Leary is also from Clifton. We've been friends since kindergarten. Today, Anna is the head of the Mexican-American Studies at the University of Arizona. What do you remember about La Llorona and the stories when we were kids? Clifton was uh, an, a very, it's a very remote uh, city, town in uh, eastern Arizona. And, uh, you know, there we don't have the urban uh, lighting like we have here in Tucson. So once the sun set, everything becomes quite dark and the river had its mysteries, you know, uh, its sounds, its smells, uh, uh, you know, the, the lure of, of that night swim was quickly ended uh, by some of these stories that we would hear from our parents uh, uh, and among other other kids as well. Uh, the story of the Llorona was used by older kids to scare the younger ones. It was used by mothers to scare their daughters from straying too far. It was a, a way, um, I, I believe, to keep uh, family members close to the house and hearth. One of the things that I think frightened me the most as a child is that she was looking for her children, but could any child do? Could any child be taken and taken to the gates of heaven so that she could get in? Well, I think that, you know, there was a fear of the unknown. We don't, we didn't know. I mean, our parents were telling us the story of the Llorona, that she drowned her children in the river and she was doomed to mourn them. There was no, oh, well, maybe she needed a doctor, maybe she had postpartum depression. Nobody <laughs> thinks about that part, you know, but so we never had an explanation. So I think that adds to the mystery and it, the lure and, and uh, you know, the the lure of the unknown, it, it inspires us to only um, surmise what might have, what might have provoked that action. One of the things I note is that this is regional. It's it happened in so many different rivers. Everybody who has a river in their home in a Latino population seems to have stories of La Llorona. What is that? Well, I hate to disappoint them, but I'm very sure that it only happened in our San Francisco River. <laughs> Even today, the stories of La Llorona are still being told. They're still out there. What do you think this has had such a, uh, just the, the longevity of the story? We hear it today, and uh, I don't want to say how old we are, but uh, certainly that that um, that legend uh, predates us, and I'm sure continues to be told in households all over, um, all over the wherever there are Mexican American populations and Mexican populations. Now, one other thing I remember about La Llorona and my parents, and that's when they wanted me to behave, they would say, "Si no te portes bien, te va a agarrar la Llorona. If you don't behave yourself, the Llorona will get you." What a horrible thing to say to a child, but it worked. Just ask my sons. I'm Nancy Montoya, Arizona Spotlight. Stay tuned for more of this special haunted Halloween Arizona Spotlight. Orange yellow pumpkins, grinning eyes.
Welcome back to the show. Writer and artist Beth Serdit usually tells true stories about the natural world, but sometimes it's the supernatural that comes knocking. You're simply going to have to trust me when I tell you the witch was real. She had a reputation in Montgomery County, you see. I met a woman who, when she was a girl, was so brave that she went to the castle to meet the witch who invited her to sit on the settee and look through a family album of witches and warlocks. But that was years before I answered an ad for a group house, 20 minutes from the White House. Well hidden by trees, up a winding driveway, a stone castle never warmed by the sun, built during the Depression when labor was cheap. Oh, the place was full of strangeness. The chandelier in the library would sometimes rock and swing in a circle, even though the air was dead still. The dogs, hackles raised, would follow and bark at an invisible presence as it moved down the main staircase. I slept in the dead witch's bedroom on the second floor last door on the left at the end of the hallway. Outside my window, if the moon was bright, it lit the metal on this old-fashioned contraption, some sort of air raid siren with a hand crank on it, because, you see, the witch lived alone up on that hill above Glen Echo and was afraid that no one would hear her cry for help. The siren blared one night but when people arrived, she had died in her bed, alone. Each room had a heavy oak door that offered the illusion of privacy. I was reading in bed one night. No one else was home, no one human. When my bedside lamp went out, like that, as I fumbled with it, I heard, slow and deliberate on the door. I waited for the sound of the knob turning, and I realized I didn't want to see what was on the other side. I pulled the covers over my head. I reached for the lamp, which came on as soon as I touched the switch. I breathed in courage, opened the door, and there was my ginger kitty. Looking at the cat and the placement of the door, I knew there was no way he could have made those knocks. I moved out the next week. I had lasted a month in the witch's castle. 
This is Beth Surtit. Have a spooky Halloween. He didn't star in many horror films, but screen legend Peter Lorre's reputation for creating thrills and suspense stands proudly alongside those of his friends Boris Karloff, Basil Rathbone, and Vincent Price. Here's film writer Chris DeShiel with an appreciation. Once you've seen Peter Lorre in a film, you don't easily forget him. The short Hungarian actor with the big eyes, haunted expression, and nasally insinuating voice was a perfect fit for crime and especially horror films. His breakthrough role was in Germany in Fritz Lang's 1931 masterpiece M, where he played a child murderer. He doesn't appear until the last reel, but when he does, it's an absolutely chilling performance. Lori was Jewish, and with the rise of Nazism, he fled Germany, first to England, where he played a villain in Hitchcock's The Man Who Knew Too Much, and finally to Hollywood. Lori's unique personality made a big impression in America, and his voice and mannerisms became a sort of running gag in popular culture, even in Warner Brothers cartoons. His first American film from 1935 is a favorite of mine, Mad Love, directed by Karl Freund, another refugee from Hitler, famous mostly for his innovative cinematography. And that's evident in Mad Love, which has a wonderfully spooky visual texture, full of intense light and shadow. Peter Lorre plays an insane surgeon named Dr. Gogol, who falls for an actress, played by Frances Drake. She, however, is already married to a classical pianist named Orlac, played by Colin Clive, whom you may recognize as Dr. Frankenstein in the original Frankenstein films. Orlac's hands are crushed in an accident, and his wife turns to Dr. Gogol for help. He succeeds in transplanting another pair of hands onto the pianist's arms. What he doesn't tell anyone is that the hands belong to a recently executed murderer. The story is just bizarre, and I imagine that this over-the-top quality was enough to... Now I understand. You don't. How could you? I, a poor peasant, have conquered science. Why can't I conquer love? Don't you understand? You must be mine, not his. You are mine. Mad Love is fine, creepy Halloween entertainment. Jumping ahead to 1946, I would like to mention one other film, The Beast with Five Fingers, directed by Robert Florey. It's not in the same league as Mad Love, but curiously, it shares the horror motif of the evil hands, in this case, the severed hand of a wealthy pianist who has been murdered and now seeks its revenge. Loria appears as one of the murder suspects and he pulls out all the stops, portraying a paranoid who's obsessed with studying the occult. The special effect of the disembodied hand, at one point we see it playing the piano, was state of the art at that time. A piano long silent mysteriously plays again. It's weird and ominous chords filling a bedeviled house with stark terror. A concerto of death. Macabre music of a dead man. I heard what they said in the garden. I couldn't help it. It's a lie. You're lying. I'm not a liar. But you, you are a coward. You don't want to hear the truth. The Beast with Five Fingers seems more campy than scary today, but it's a nice way to spend a Halloween night. Peter Lorre died in 1964 at the far too young age of 59. There's one story about him I particularly love, even though I suspect it's a myth. 
It's said that during the McCarthy era in the early 1950s, Lori was interviewed by investigators for the House Un-American Activities Committee. He was asked to name anyone suspicious that he had met since coming to the United States. So he gave them a list of every person he knew. For Arizona Spotlight, this is Krista Scheel wishing you a happy Halloween. The Big Read is a national endowment for the arts project that invites communities around the nation to choose an author to celebrate. Tucson Readers, organized by the nonprofit Literacy Connects, chose Edgar Allan Poe. 12-year-old student Forrest Zeppesauer was intrigued when he read about Poe in school and decided to commit some of his poems to memory. Next, Forrest takes us to the edge of the lonely, moonlit shore that is the setting for Poe's 1849 tale, Annabelle Lee. It was many and many a year ago in a kingdom by the sea that a maiden there lived whom you may know by the name of Annabelle Lee. And this maiden she lived with no other thought than to love and be loved by me. I was a child and she was a child in this kingdom by the sea, but we loved with a love that was more than love I and my Annabelle Lee, with a love that the winged seraphs of heaven coveted her and me. And this was the reason that long ago, in this kingdom by the sea, a wind blew out of a cloud, chilling my beautiful Annabelle Lee, so that her highborn kinsmen came and bore her away from me to shut her up in a sepulcher in this kingdom by the sea. The angels not half so happy in heaven when envying her and me. Yes, that was the reason, as all men know, in this kingdom by the sea, that the wind came out of the cloud by night, chilling and killing my Annabelle Lee. But our love, it was stronger by far than the love of those who were older than we, of many far wiser than we. And neither the angels in heaven above, nor the demons down under the sea, can ever dissever my soul from the soul of the beautiful Annabel Lee. For the moon never beams without bringing me dreams of the beautiful Annabel Lee. And the stars never rise, but I feel the bright eyes of the beautiful Annabel Lee. And so all the night tide I lie down by the side of my darling, my darling, my life and my bride. In her sepulcher there by the sea, in her tomb by the sounding sea. Zombies are everywhere these days, and not just in your backyard or patiently waiting for you in the garage. Zombies are starring in movies, TV shows, and books. So why not a song? Here's AZPM production assistant Isaac Rodriguez with one he wrote himself. heavy rain but you must endure the storm before you see a sunny day i used to welcome the thought of dying alone but as the nights get colder i need someone to hold but i'm a zombie because i'm dead inside i'm a zombie don't know why i'm alive i'm a zombie because i'm dead inside is anybody gonna bring me back to life 
traveling through a series of emotions Too many crazy thoughts, it's getting harder to control it With the paper and the pen, I can't relieve the pain And begin to pretend that things will be the same again But I'm a zombie, because I'm dead inside I'm a zombie, don't know why I'm alive I'm a zombie, because I'm dead inside is anybody gonna bring me back to life? Thank you for listening to the 8th Annual Haunted Halloween Arizona Spotlight. On behalf of audio engineer Jim Blackwood and contributors Vanessa, Nancy, Beth, Chris, Forrest, Isaac, the spirit of Edgar Allan Poe, and the friends of Mr. Cairo, I'd like to wish everyone a very safe and extremely scary Halloween weekend. Ha, 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 ha.